1: Hello, welcome back to Pediapod. You may remember that going forward, episodes are going to rotate between three different formats, focusing on collections, senior investigators, and hot new research areas. This month is a senior investigator month, and we're delighted to have sat down with Linda de Vries, an innatal neurologist from the Netherlands. Her illustrious career has focused on predicting neurodevelopmental outcomes using neurophysiology and neuroimaging methods. Here she is.
0: I'm Linda de Vries. I'm a retired neonatologist. I used to work in Utrecht for almost 30 years. I'm now an emeritus and I've got a guest appointment in Utrecht and the University of Leiden, where I still do some research at present.
1: How are you enjoying being professor emeritus? Do you now have less responsibility, but you can just be involved in whatever interests you or what's that like?
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly what you say. You don't have uh, the responsibilities anymore. And you can be a little bit more choosy to say, yes, I would like to do this or I wouldn't like to do this. So I think it gives you a little bit more free time. I also miss it as well, being able to do a follow-up clinic and talk to the parents and see the children growing up. So it's a mixture.
1: Can you give us a potted history of how it is you arrived at your current position as a neonatal neurologist?
0: Well, I have to take you back a very, very long time. 40 years ago now, when I was doing my pediatrics, it was becoming possible to also do an elective abroad. So we're talking about the early 80s. My father used to be a GP, and then he got interested in hematology, and he went to learn this specialty at the Hammersmith Hospital in London. And he was there for a couple of years, just before the Second World War. When I was finishing my pediatrics, my father had passed. But I got in touch with his mentor and he said, well, maybe the Hammersmiths is a very good hospital to go to for you as well, because Victor and Lily Dubourg are working here and you may be interested to come and work with them. So I initially did my six months elective there at the Hammersmith hospital. And then I went back to Utrecht, did my neonatology And then Victor rang me and said, we've got an open position for a PhD project. Would you like to apply? And I did. And then I actually spent four years there. And that really got me very, very interested into the field of neonatal neurology. Is
1: that what set you down your path in terms of research? Or were you always wanting to do research as well?
0: When I was there the first time, I got interested in learning how to do ultrasound of the brain. And Malcolm Levine was one of the first people in the world who did cranial ultrasound in preterm babies, and he taught me how to do it. And when I came back for my research, we had just been able to diagnose white matter injury using cranial ultrasound. So that became the topic of my PhD. And in those days, we were also starting to be able to do MRI in these preterm babies. So this was all very kind of new and exciting.
1: Would a contemporary neurologist recognize the images that were coming out of those early forms of MRI and cranial ultrasound?
0: Oh, yes. Well, I mean, it's a world of difference. What you got in those days, they started off with linear ultrasound and you were not able at all uh, to see the, the white matter. So we really only looked at IVHs. And uh, only when there were big cysts in the white matter, we were able to recognize them. So the resolution of those ultrasound images has really changed a lot and is still improving, actually, with the new equipment we, we are getting. And then the MRI, I always tell this to people and they kind of look at me and really surprised that in the beginning when we went to the MRI, we only got single slices. So like now you get a thousand slices when you've done your MRI in kind of half an hour. In those days, you would sit next to the baby for 45 minutes and then you would go back to the unit having only got three slices. And so if you were lucky, you were just having the slices where the brain injury also could be recognized. And of course, there also the solution is very different. We couldn't do any advanced imaging techniques like we can do now, like connectivity, DTI and those were just plain T1 and T2 images.
1: But it was enough to get your PhD.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. It was all very new. Uh, the PhD covered uh, that the white matter injury was more important for outcome Uh, Compared to an IVH, we always thought in the beginning that IVH, even when it was quite small, it would matter. And if you had a large IVH, then you often died and that you were having a poor outcome. But then once we were able to recognize white matter injury, we found out that white matter injury was bilateral uh, and and it often caused a lot of problems to the brain in the future, uh, to the child in the future. Developing cerebral palsy was very, very likely so this difference was kind of the beginning of the PhD and then we looked at postmortem data of those children and we also looked at longer kind of outcome at two and five years. And of course, looking at risk factors for these conditions as well and trying to reduce the incident. And actually between the 80s and where we are now, uh, this severe cystic white matter injury has really dropped incidence from kind of 6% to less than 1% at present. So it, it did work to get things better over time.
1: That must mark the earliest period of us being able to make any predictions about these high risk children.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think in in those days, it was still kind of wait and see, and we don't know. And parents went home with their baby in in huge uncertainties. And I think uh, what I learned at the Hammersmiths and what I also did over the next years when I went back to, to Utrecht was to kind of get early predictions so that you could start working with the parents and the children very early on and start physio very early and also kind of get rid of that uncertainty. Of course, you know, sometimes you're still uncertain. You don't always exactly know what is going to happen. Uh, but the prediction improved a lot over time.
1: So you finished your PhD in London and you went back to the Netherlands. Where Have you kind of been there ever since?
0: When I finished my PhD in London, there was a paediatric neurologist from Leuven, Paul Kazar, And he suggested to me, if you want to spend your life in neonatal neurology, then it's also a very good idea to know more about pediatric neurology. So why don't you come to me and do a pediatric neurology training with us before you go back to the Netherlands? So that's what I did. And after leaving London, I was for two years in Louvain in Belgium to train as a pediatric neurologist. And then I went back to Utrecht. And yes, I I spent there the next 30 years.
1: So do you think that that was good advice about doing a stint in pediatric neurology and not getting pigeonholed in one particular area of pediatrics?
0: Yes, I, I think it was very, very useful for me. And also it was very useful because when I worked in London as a neonatologist, with a special interest in neonatal neurology, I also used to do the follow-up clinic. And I think having done my pediatric neurology, I was also much better equipped to be able to do the follow-up clinic in these infants who had been admitted to the NICU.
1: I'm going to ask you to just swallow your humility and tell us what you think your major contributions have been to neonatal neurology.
0: Okay, well, it's a hard question, but if I would like to pick one, I think that I spent a lot of my time working in the field of PHVD, which means post hemorrhagic ventricular dilatation, which we tend to see a lot in preterm babies having a large IVH. And then after a couple of weeks, they develop enlargement of the ventricles. And people tended to wait very long to treat these preterm babies because they didn't have any clinical symptoms like vomiting or apneas. And their head doesn't grow immediately. So rather than clinical symptoms waiting for these to occur, we always in Utrecht and in the Netherlands, we try to treat these babies earlier. And by treating, I mean putting in a ventricular reservoir and trying to avoid that subsequently to this, they also need a VP shunt. And we always thought that the ventricles getting larger without doing anything would give the pressure on the surrounding white matter and lead to more sequelae in these infants. So then we did a randomized control trial, and there we either waited for the clinical symptoms to occur, or we treated them before these and uh, performed the lumbar punctures put in the vesifer earlier. And we were able to show that these children are doing better later on. So I think that was something which changed the policy in many centers. There, unfortunately, are still people are using the kind of weight still clinical symptoms kind of policy. But in many centers, it changed the policy and they're now treating earlier. And I think that's beneficial to the to the child.
1: And what do you think are the big issues still confronting research in neonatal neurology?
0: Well, one of the big issues that I think is there is that Doing research with other centres all over the world, especially when it's outside the European Union, it is so hard nowadays to get ethics permission. So you may easily spend a year before you can do a project with somebody in another centre. Even in the Netherlands, if you want to combine data, you may spend a lot of time of getting data sharing agreements. And some people even say that they find it so difficult that they prefer not to be doing it anymore. So I think that is a kind of negative issue. The other kind of positive issues is that we are moving the needle so fast. I mean, so much has happened with this introduction of hypothermia in full-term babies. We were, for the first time, able to start treating babies rather than just giving them support, but to actually be doing something positive. And I think over the next decades, uh, we will see that we are much more moving away from prediction of outcome to being able to treat babies. And I think things like stem cells and additional medications when you cool babies, all these may have got a big impact of the future in neonatal medicine.
1: How far are we with that?
0: Well, in Utrecht, just at about after I left, we were able to complete. A small study of 10 babies who had neonatal stroke, who were given nasal mesenchymal stem cells, transmitted intranasally, non-invasively. And uh, now, hopefully, they are going to do an RCT with the stem cells in this population as well. So there's hope that stem cells are, are going to work also for the babies who had hypothermia, also maybe for the preterm population. But it's still a long journey. Of course, people are very kind of hopeful also about the contribution of AI, artificial intelligence, that is going to be really able to help to kind of analyze the MRIs of big cohorts more successfully, to kind of be able to predict or to diagnose things like septicemia in the preterm baby more quickly and more reliably as well. So AI is probably also going to make a huge contribution And one of my colleagues from Utrecht also looked at this in relation to the use of Amplitude Integrated EEG that was just published in The Lancet. And that was also showing that it was helpful. So I think that is also another very exciting field.
1: What would your advice be to future generations?
0: Well, enjoy it. It's a wonderful job and things are happening every day. Make sure that you're going to work in a team that is working well together if you look for a mentor, make sure that you got some kind of nice connection with your mentor, that your mentor is also giving you enough time uh, to ask questions, to be there for you. Make sure that you collaborate with people within your team, but also with other specialties and people abroad. Make sure that you still have got a balance of your, your normal life and your working life because the risk of getting a burnout nowadays is quite high. you're really being approached by all these different issues like emails and whatsapp and whatever every day life is much faster than it used to be and i think that is making it also more complicated for the younger generation
1: thank you to linda de vries from utrecht university and leiden university in the netherlands for an interesting conversation and some sage advice and thank you the listener for downloading this podcast Hopefully it served as a short break from the busy emails and WhatsApps. We'll be back next month. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening.